As Pastor Sean said, uh, turn with me to the book of Galatians, Galatians chapter 6. We're continuing our series through Paul's letter to the church in Galatia. And uh, two more sections left before we, we start a new series. The Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Galatia to defend the gospel, to make sure it was understood. And we too need to be reminded of the gospel, especially, particularly in this day and age. And so this is relevant, not just to the people to whom it was written, but to the people of God through all ages. And so we best pay attention and to heed God's word. So reading in Galatians chapter 6, starting in verse 1. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load. Let the one who is taught the word share all things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that he will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good. For in due season, we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. Please join me in prayer. Our God and Father, Lord, we thank you for your word. Thank you for the fact that your word is timeless, Lord. It is living. It is active. It is sharper than any two-edged sword. And Father, we need your spirit to take that word and perform a spiritual surgery, Lord, on each one that's here. Father, each one of us need to hear this word in a fresh way, in a new way, in a way that applies to our own unique situation. And yet, Lord, one that, that joins us to the body of Christ in a, in a deeper way, in a way that for the sake of the peoples, Lord, that would hear your word, that would come to faith, the nations that would come to faith, Lord, we need to see your power refreshed in each of us, Lord. We need your spirit anew. We need to see the church display your glory, your light to a watching world so that the nations would worship you, O Lord, in spirit and truth. So, Father, do, do a great work. Surprise us with your grace. We ask you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Well, some people will say it's all about the journey, right? And you, you, there's songs, there's books, there's 
movies on this subject, all about the journey. And I would say that some of us have had very interesting journeys over life. We'd have interesting experiences. Um, I remember when my wife and I were celebrating an anniversary, uh, we were down in Florida at Marco Island, and we just decided, man, it would be fun to drive to Key West and have dinner there, right? It's about a, it was about a five-hour drive, and uh, it was quite an experience uh, getting there, but I'll spare you the details just to know that it, it, was, it, was a, it was a fun experience. It was a great experience. We enjoyed the journey. Um, but I would submit to you it's, that the journey is wonderful only if you're headed in the right direction, right? So picture yourself in the middle of the country, in Wichita, Kansas. And you need to be in San Diego, California. And that's about 1,400 miles from Wichita, Kansas, to San Diego, California, right? And if, if some of you can travel, I know some of you travel, like you can do over 500 miles in a day. And so three days, you could be in San Diego. But only, and only, if you go due west, right? If you happen to start driving east, I don't care how the journey goes, you're not going to be very happy when you get there because you're not going to be in the place you need to be. So it's not about the journey if you're going in the wrong direction. If you're on the highway to hell, guess what? It doesn't matter how much fun that journey is, you're going to be really disappointed when you get there. It's, the, the journey will not matter if you're going in the wrong direction. Once you arrive at the wrong destination, it's not going to be something you can fix. So what does this have to do with the gospel? Well, there's, you're, you're familiar with, uh, with a charity that says, do the most good, right? Do the most good. And that seems like a really good idea. We should do the most good. We should do good. In fact, Paul himself, right, says this in Galatians 6, verse 10. He says, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone. And that, that in and of itself is not a bad sentiment. But if we don't put it in the right context, it could lead us in the wrong direction and in a way that we end up in the wrong destination, the wrong place. You see, where are we in this letter? It's important to see the context of where we are. We're in the sixth chapter of a six-chapter letter. So we're at the end. We're at the end of what Paul has been expressing to the church in Galatia. The first couple verses, Paul introduces after he introduces himself, he says in chapter 1, verse 3, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And then he tells us something very important about the Lord Jesus Christ. He said, Christ gave himself for our sins. Now, some of us hear that and we just run with it. Okay, he, he gave himself for my sins. Wonderful. Now I can go and do 
what I want to do because now I can, I'm forgiven and I'm free and I can do what I want to do. But no, he gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age to deliver us. And that deliverance is a personal deliverance, but it's also a corporate deliverance. The body of Christ must be delivered. So what does Paul do? In the first two chapters, he's defending his apostleship to the Galatians. He's expressing how did he receive this message? He received it directly from the Lord Jesus. He is defending his apostleship because his apostleship validates his message. And then he continues, he spends the, the next few chapters defending the gospel and expressing the gospel to the church in Galatia. And now as we turn the corner in chapter 6, he's now saying here's how the gospel applies to real life. Here's how the gospel looks in practice. And so you do the most good, but you do it because of how the gospel has changed your life, because of how the gospel has been embraced by the body of Christ. You do the most good because of Christ who has done the most good, right? Because he has done the most good, we can do good to those who are around him. So by explaining the gospel, by explaining the basis for doing good, Paul gives us th that reason, right? Remember, Pastor Bob earlier quoted from the Westminster Shorter Catechism. So you know the question that says, what do the scriptures principally teach? What man is to believe concerning God and what duty God requires of man? So what we believe influences what we do. Think of what we believe, how we believe, in whom we believe, that's the destination. Christ is our destination so that we can do then, we can do the most good, but we're doing it as we follow our Savior who has already done the greatest good. So we don't want to miss the thing that we need to believe so that we can do the right thing. And in chapter 6, verse 2, Paul says this, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. So we'll, we'll see the, the practical application, but I first want to take a closer look at this. Why do we bear one another's burdens? So that we would fulfill the law of Christ. When we read the Bible, we see the word law. We tend to think of it as the the thing by which we are judged. We tend to think of it in terms of the law of Moses. We tend to think of it in terms of the Ten Commandments. And so at first glance, we might think, well, how do we fulfill any law? What does this mean? So Paul explains, this is the law of Christ. This is not the law of Moses. This is not the covenant of works. This is something different. And it's important to see that distinction because at first glance, we think, how can we fulfill any law? How could the believer fulfill any law? Well, Paul is speaking of a different law. Now, the word law shows up 27 times in the book of Galatians. That's the second most frequency uh, that you find in the New Testament. And Paul usually is talking about the law of Moses. 
Um, in chapter 2, he says, we know that a person is not justified by the works of the law. And he's speaking of the law of Moses. No one can justify themselves because the law is going to demonstrate how we fall short. Chapter 3, he says, for all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse because they've fallen short of God's commandments and they are judged accordingly. So why then the law? Chapter 3, verse 19, he says, the law was added because of transgressions. Because of transgressions. In fact, Paul tells the church in Rome, in Romans 5, verse 20, now the law of Moses came to increase trespass. To increase it. So what does he mean by increase? It's not that it's, the law itself is not creating more sin. It's just like a magnifying glass. It is showing how we have fallen short of God's glory, his perfection. Like the magnifying glass is not changing what it's looking at. It's just increasing how it looks. It's showing it with more clarity, more depth. So the law of Moses is given to increase the trespass. So we see how great our need of a savior is. So ultimately, Paul is making it exceedingly clear. He tells the church in Corinth this in 1 Corinthians 9, 21. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law. But then he says, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ. So he makes that distinction. The law of God, the law of Christ. That I might win those outside of the law. So Paul is under the law of Christ. And we're going to see what exactly then is the law of Christ. Well, remember, when Jesus invited weary and burdened people to himself, he said, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. So the law of Christ can't be a burden. It can't be something that weighs us down. It's something that can be fulfilled. John Piper put it like this. He said, every command in the law of Christ is a call to faith, a call to trust Christ, a, a call to follow him by faith. Through faith, God supplies the spirit of Christ. Through the spirit, we produce the fruit of love. Through love, we fulfill the law of Christ. So it begins with faith. All right, Pastor Sean is taking us through the, the fruit of the spirit. We see how that plays out, how that bears fruit in the life of the believer. But it begins with faith in Christ. And that through this, the Spirit, we produce the fruit of love. And through love, we fulfill the law of Christ. By fulfilling the law of Christ, we're fulfilling the second table of the law. We're loving our neighbor as ourselves. We're living in response to the faith that God has worked in us. So having established the basis for what we do, as a Christian. Let's see, what are the imperatives that Paul is giving us? What are the commands that he's telling us? And he gives us individual commands that apply to each of us as the people of God, but he also gives, I'll call them family commands that deal with how we live in the body of Christ, how we interact. The family imperatives we see in, in chapter 6, verse 1, to restore one 
who was caught in a transgression, to restore them. Chapter 6, verse 2, to bear one another's burdens. So all of, all of this is done in the context of the family of God. Chapter 6, verse 6, to share all good things with the one who teaches. So there's a sharing. All of these things, restoring, bearing, sharing, these are all done in a relationship of the family of God. We, re, we restore one who is caught in a trespass. Why? Because we're members of the body of Christ. We, we don't want to see any member dislocated from the body of Christ. We want to restore them. We want to see them reconnected. We bear one another's burdens, Paul says explicitly, because we fulfill the law of Christ by doing this. And we share all good things with the one who teaches the word because the day of the Lord is a day of judgment. And whatever one sows, that one will also reap. So this sharing is a, is a, a sowing and reaping principle. All right, so we, we looked at chapter 1, verse 4. Why did Christ deliver us? Or, I'm sorry, why did he give himself for us? To deliver us from the present evil age. To deliver us. So this is, this is a kind of deliverance that we see Paul asking. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. So the word restore, as we look more closely at that, we see it, it comes from the Greek, which literally means to, to, to take and to adjust properly, to take something that is not working properly and, and to make it work more properly, um, to, to, to fit it in good working order, um, to adjust it exactly so that it, it fully functions as it should. When Jesus called his disciples, they were in the process of mending their nets. They were taking nets that were not, that may, perhaps had holes or tears, and they were being mended so that they worked as nets should work, so that nothing slips out. That's, that's the word restore uh, in the Greek. Um, a student will be like his teacher when he is fully trained, when he is functioning the way he is supposed to. This is the same Greek word. So to restore him is to readjust him, to refit him, to reconnect him into the body of Christ. Why would he need to be refit? Well, because sin separates. Sin comes with it a sense of shame, a sense of hiding, a sense of guilt. And so the person who is caught in this transgression is not going to be functioning in the body the way they should, is not going to be fulfilling the purpose of God in their lives. And so, brothers, you who are spiritual, restore such a one. Restore how? In a spirit of gentleness. Now, it gets messy. So doing the most good means you have to get your hands a little dirty. It means you're going to have to roll up your sleeves and you're going to need wisdom. You're going to need help. You're going to need a team of people. Um, you're going to need a way to help this person because if the transgression is private, there's going to be probably great personal shame. Or maybe there's a sense 
There's not even a sense of shame yet. This person is caught in a transgression and they're not even acting as if this is something they should be ashamed of. If it's a public transgression, then there's a sense of scandal. And depending on how public it is, it just exacerbates the problem. But Proverbs 14 verse four tells us this, where there are no oxen, the manger is clean. Right? So you, you can have a wonderfully looking manger. Everything will be lined up nicely, but there's no increase from the strength of the ox without oxen. So with the mess comes a need to roll up sleeves and get to work. And the Lord has called us. You who are spiritual, you are, who have a sense of maturity, you are, who are growing in the Lord, have this opportunity to restore the one who is caught in the transgression. Why? Going back to chapter 5, verse 13, Paul tells us this, it is for freedom that Christ set us free. You were called to freedom. Do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love, serve one another. Through love, serve one another. We serve the one who's caught in the transgression. They may not be immediately thankful as you come to restore them, as you come alongside them to work with them. But by learning to bear one another's burdens, we are, for ourselves, we are re-appreciating. We are appreciating all over again what Christ has done to free us from our sins, what Christ has done to restore us to the image of God, to which God has initially created us for. But we do it in a spirit of gentleness because love bears all things, love endures all things. So we are learning to bear that burden by loving our neighbor, by loving the one in the body of Christ that has been caught in this transgression. And at the same time, Paul warns us, keep a watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted, because love is kind, love does not envy, love does not boast. But what if the one who is caught in this transgression doesn't want to be restored? Right, so you've tried to restore them with a spirit of gentleness. You're keeping watch on yourself. What can you do? Well, we don't rejoice in the idea of escalating a process of discipline. And once one has, one has gone to their, to their brother and tried to work it through with them and tried to restore them and then taken along another, we don't rejoice in seeing the process of discipline escalate. But at the same time, the desire is to help the one who's caught. The desire is to bring the one caught to a sense of repentance, a sense of need. And we proceed in the process with gentleness, but we proceed because the honor of Christ is at stake. And there is something greater than simply our own comfort or the comfort of the one around us. And so we continue to follow that process. And this process begins and it ends, it continues all along in a spirit of gentleness, keeping watch on ourselves, as Paul warns us. Because for every one of us, there but for the grace of God, go we. It could be any one of us caught in that transgression. 
Paul also gives us a sense of personal uh, imperatives. What are the, the commands? What, are, what is the good that we must do to ourselves? Well, we already mentioned keeping watch on oneself, keeping a watch. Um, chapter 6, verse 4, testing one's own work, bearing one's own load, verse 5. And, and ultimately, in all that we do, chapter 6, verse 9, not growing weary in doing good, which tells me if Paul is warning me not to grow weary, then I should expect there's going to be times where I'm going to be quite weary, where I'm going to want to give up, where I'm going to want to find something else rather than the thing to which God has called me to do. And so the reminder Paul gives us is to what? Just keep doing the most good? No, no, look to Christ. Remember what he has done. Reappreciate what Christ has already done. Reapply the gospel to your own life. Paul's already spent five chapters explaining how important it is to prioritize the gospel in your life, in the life of the, the Galatian church, and also the dangers of being distracted from the gospel. And so we, we do that. We see a parallel as far as testing one's work. We see a parallel in 2 Corinthians chapter 13, where Paul tells us to examine ourselves, to examine ourselves. So we test testing one's own work, examining oneself, there's a, a parallel. So what, but what, what do you think you're looking to see as you test yourself, right? Because every test has an outcome, has an expectation. What do you think you're testing yourself to see? Well, Paul has told the Galatians, we know that a person is not justified by the works of the law. So we remind ourselves, we're not testing ourselves to see if we're justified. He's justified through faith in Jesus Christ. And so we also have believed in Christ in order to be justified in Christ and not by works, because by the works of the law, none will be justified. But we test ourselves, Paul said in 2 Corinthians 13, verse 5, to see that Christ is in us, to see that Christ is in us. What does it look like for Christ to be in you? Well, first of all, you know you're not justifying yourself. You know you're not comparing yourself to another person. You know you're not simply seeing, well, did I, did I obey most of the commandments today? I, can I be satisfied with that? The person who tests himself sees that compared to the law of Moses, there's no hope. As I go through each of the Ten Commandments, it is impossible to be justified before the living God. How do I find Christ in myself when I realize that I do not have the spiritual power, the ability within myself to please the living God? I am the one who is spiritually poor. I am the one who is mourning over my sin. I am the one who has been humbled before the living God. And I'm hungering and thirsting for his righteousness and his alone. And I find that Christ meets me because his spirit is in me. And I have the confidence 
I have the spirit that says within me, Abba, Father, there's no one else that can help me. And so I turn to him and I find that Christ is with me. He's never left me. He never leaves me. He never forsakes me. And I have that confidence to move forward. And so the, the greatest hope that we have, right, is to see that Christ is in us. And that is what pushes us outside of ourselves so that we can, as he says in chapter 6, verse 10, we can do good to everyone. We can do good to everyone. You are what you believe. You are what you believe. What do you believe? Examine yourself. What is the gospel that you hold to? Is it the gospel that Paul proclaimed to the church in Galatia? Is it the gospel that's revealed in the pages of scripture? This is the only means by which mankind can be right before the living God. And knowing these things, trusting in the the Lord Jesus Christ, then we could do all the good that he has for us to do. We can walk in the good works that he's prepared in advance. Would you pray with me? Our God and Father, Lord, we thank you for the goodness of finding Christ in us. Lord, nothing in ourselves to boast of, nothing in ourselves to compare and show ourselves to be better than another. But Lord, we simply find that we are accepted in the beloved, in Jesus Christ, by faith alone in him, by grace alone, through your divine sovereign plan, Lord, that has worked out in our lives so that we can then be stretched to the uttermost to do the most good so that we would see your kingdom come and your will be done. Father, we are grateful to find this again, to reappreciate the gospel of Jesus Christ in our own lives in Christ Church, Lord, and to see your kingdom come even to the end of the age, Lord. Uh, Continue to strengthen your people, Lord. Let us not grow weary in well-doing, knowing that in due season we would reap. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.